Welcome back to Dynasty Coast to Coast. I'm your co-host, Austin Reich, bringing the heat from 110-degree Phoenix, Arizona. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty Osti. I am joined once again by my co-host and permanent Cone of Uncertainty resident, Cam Welch, who you can find on Twitter at Dynasty Cam. Cam made it through a tropical <laughs> storm this week, so the least you can do is follow our podcast main Twitter page at Coast to Coast FFB. Today, we're going to touch on some recent news throughout the NFL, answer some listener questions, and recap the rookie draft from one of our home dynasty leagues. Cam, I'll let you start us off with one of your dynasty truther status guys whose NFL career may be coming to an end, Darius Geis. Well, Austin, it's good to be back. Um, this news was shocking, and I would just say it was pretty sad, to be honest. You don't really like to see this stuff. Um, kind of reminds you that these players are people, good for for better or for worse. Um, so Darius Geis on Saturday was officially released by the Washington football team um, after being arrested on multiple domestic violence allegations, um, including a felony count of strangulation. Um, it's pretty sad. I, I mean, yeah, if you paid attention to the draft, he fell in the draft due to character concerns. Um, I don't know, like, his previous situation is like his his youth and everything um hopefully he gets the help he needs um i would say there's probably little chance he makes it back into the league um uh he probably won't he probably won't get a chance um in the near future uh, especially this year and I mean, next year, the running back free agents are ridiculous, along with those rookie running backs coming out of the draft. He ended up going unclaimed on waivers on Sunday, and it it's not a good situation. Um, his His stock is all but falling through the floor. It's pretty much all over, so... I don't even know if it's worth rostering him, but what do you what do you have to say about this, Austin? Well, personally, I think that the Darius Geis stock is pretty much down to zero. He would not be a guy I would even be willing to roster in Dynasty right now, you know, whether it's for moral reasons or even just as a good Dynasty player. I do not think that he's worth the roster spot, but this horrific Darius Geist news, which cannot be understated, does, on a lighter note, give me the chance to talk about a guy that I hold official truther status on, whose stock has since skyrocketed, Antonio Gibson. So, we touched on him last episode. Antonio Gibson is a freak athlete, 43940, 99th percentile speed score, and averaged 11.2 yards per carry at Memphis. Again, I am still blown away by that. Mm-hmm. But I felt even before 
this news broke that he was the most talented player in that backfield, let alone now. So, like I said before, give me the elite athlete in an ambiguous backfield, and you're telling me that all he has in his way is a 35-year-old Adrian Peterson, Bryce Noni's love, <laughs> and Peyton just a guy barber? Ooh. I mean, come on. Personally, I already had Antonio Gibson at 17th overall in this class before the news broke, and now I think you can put Antonio Gibson in consideration with the wide receivers in the early second round. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cam, what are your thoughts on Gibson? Yeah, I, so with Antonio Gibson, honestly, it's to the point where I'm pushing him right now. I had or before all this, I had him rated at running back nine behind Josh Kelly and Darrington Evans, and it's at the point where I probably he's probably pushing running back six and Keyshawn Vaughn's at running back six. He's he's pushing that first round uh value um i would say a safe spot for him would definitely be in that that wide receiver that second round wide receiver group um with that Pittman, Ruggs, Chenault, Brian Edwards, Brendan Ayuk group um there's definitely a lot to look forward to he's definitely going to get an opportunity they definitely definitely need playmakers there and I mean, the sky's the limit for him. He's got all the opportunity he needs. That's all you can ask for. I mean, the talent's there for sure. We talked about it in in episode two. Yeah, and you need to do yourself a favor and bump him ahead of Keyshawn Yan. Yeah. I mean, they are not even in the same realm, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. So... I don't know. I'm excited about Antonio Gibson, but another guy I'm excited about is Clyde Edwards Hilaire. So another another part of the news that we touched on briefly last episode was Damian Williams opting out of the NFL season. So Cam, how high after this news does Clyde Edwards Hilaire rise up your dynasty rankings and what do you think his ceiling is for this season? I think, I mean, Clyde's going to get a ton of opportunity. Who else is there? I mean, (laughs) there's really nobody else there. I mean, is Darrell Williams going to take touches from him? No. You see Washington taking touches from him? No. No. Like, nobody's taking touches from him barring a trade. I mean, his value has gone skyrocketing in Dynasty startups. He's going ahead of most of the really, really good running backs, which is kind of absurd. I I mean, even on Twitter, I was seeing like Clyde Edwards Hilaire for for Jonathan Taylor in like first 2021, which is absolutely ridiculous. I would be on that Jonathan Crazy. Taylor side all day, every day. I, I don't even know why anyone would consider that. They're just caught up in the hype train. He's going to get the opportunity. It's, it's not like he's going to be bad, but you can't, <laughs> that's such a lateral, if not backwards move. If you're moving 
a Jonathan Taylor and a first 2021 for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Yeah, and I think if anything, that's not that's not even hating on Clyde Edwards Hilaire as much as it is us stating how good Jonathan Taylor is about to be. But personally, I am pounding the table for Clyde Edwards Hilaire as a top five overall running back in his rookie season. I mean, it was not too long ago that Zeke Elliott was a top five running back in his rookie season in Dallas, and I could argue Mm. that CEH has an even better situation in Kansas City. So like you said, I see his ADP rising up with the likes of guys like Dalvin Cook, Miles Sanders, even Alvin Kamara. I mean, proven, proven guys that have produced year over year. But when I see stuff on Twitter like Lewis Riddick, who's one of the most connected guys in the NFL, tweeting out stuff like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire should be a first overall pick in dynasty and fantasy drafts this season and saying that no quote no preseason games and no joint practices means you better have some inside info as to how players are progressing in camp i can assure you edwards hilaire is progressing very well given what they've been able to do up to this point so i see things like that and it's hard not to pound the table for a guy like this to be successful given the complete lack of competition did you see the picture of jonathan taylor that came out last week i thought it was a linebacker (laughs) that's what i'm saying you can't pass up on a freak athlete for clyde edwards hilaire jonathan taylor is going to be the next great running back in this league. And if you're trading Jonathan Taylor and anything else, even Jonathan Taylor straight up for Clyde Edwards Hilaire, you are making the wrong decision for your team. Yeah. I mean, if, if you are uncertain about Clyde Edwards Hilaire, there's no doubt that it's a great sell window. And also if you love Jonathan Taylor, why not one of those moves like getting him and a first rounder for Clyde Edwards Hilaire I mean that's mm-hmm. that's free money I mean if if you know somebody loves Clyde and you can get a haul I'm taking the haul I'm not I'm Clyde is going to be good but if you can get a really good haul I mean I was seeing some ridiculous stuff on Twitter I I hope it's not real but the hype train is roaring for this guy especially in a year that we are just grasping for any content that we can possibly hang on to so but cam speaking of content let's get into some veteran running back talk most notably LaShawn McCoy signing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and today Lamar Miller signing with your New England Patriots so Cam, what'd you think about those signings? I don't want to break anyone's hearts, but by the time the games come around, Lamar Miller is going to be one of those cut candidates. (laughs) Like, there's nothing there. There really is going to be nothing there. I think the running back room is fine. I think that's just the Patriots adding competition to their running back room, just like they do every other position. Even when Tom Brady was there, they would throw throw guys in there to to 
make you compete for spots and keep that fire going in you. I don't think there's anything there with Lamar Miller. Uh, <laughs> I, he's not what he used to be. There's, <laughs> there's nothing there. Just move on. <laughs> don't be, you can roster him if you have a spot, but there's quite literally nothing there. Yeah. For me, these signings don't move the needle even on their respective no. teams because LaShawn McCoy and Lamar Miller are washed. washed. I mean, I would avoid every single running back on both of those teams, actually, whether it's Sony Michelle, Ronald Jones, or Keyshawn Yon. Uh, my warning to you is just stay away. Moves like... Hey, can I... Can I- can I butt in here? So I would like to say that if anything, we see this year in and year out, I know you're not a big Keyshawn Yon guy. If he's fall, like he's going to fall now. Like this is a big name, even though he's washed, he's going to fall in rookie drafts. You might be able to get him in the, in this high second round. And it actually might be a steal. Like if you get him after that wide receiver group now, I'm taking him after that wide receiver group. LaShawn McCoy's not going to scare me away from Keyshawn Vaughn. And as for Lamar Miller, one guy to watch out for that you can buy real low now, buy Damian Harris. Damian Harris is very low or what looks to be low on the depth chart, but he has draft capital tied to his name. The Patriots don't really care about that all that much. But you can get him for nearly nothing. And I would end up rostering him after Lamar Miller signing. I would just steer clear altogether. But moves like these actually make me look elsewhere at young running backs who were rescued from veterans stealing their touches. Um, Like a few guys, Antonio Gibson for one, you know, he didn't add any further competition after the Geis news. Um, Miles Sanders avoided yet another veteran signing as the Eagles have, you know, reportedly been scouring the market for more veteran help. And then Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, another guy that we, we just talked about that, you know, I don't even have to pile on any more of the hype, but there's only one veteran domino left to fall, and that's one of my brother's favorites. Devonte Freeman. Yeah, you know he's going to Philly at some point. It's just bound to happen. That's just what they do. <laughs> to be honest, they do that every year. Jay Ajayi, they did it with Jordan Howard. I think Devonte Freeman is next. Yeah, so enough about running backs. We got to talk some wide receiver. And who better to talk about than one of the greats who's also kind of gone off the rails in recent times. Antonio Brown, who was handed an eight-week suspension by the NFL and Roger Goodell. So, Cam, what do you think this does for Antonio Brown's dynasty stock, and what would you what would you do with him moving forward if you're an Antonio Brown owner? Well, what I would do with former NFL great Antonio Brown is move on from him. 
I would probably, if I have him on my roster, I'm probably going to wait until he signs somewhere and then I'm going to move him. Um, he's one of those, one of those hold guys where I'm not trading for him and I'm, I'm going to wait and see until he signs somewhere and move him later on. I think it's another sad situation where he, he clearly has lost his mind. Um, but right now you're, you're not really going to get much value for him. So if he ends up signing, uh, I mean, he could, he could sign in Seattle. He he could sign in Baltimore. He was working out with Lamar Jackson. So who knows? I, I just he's 32 years old. The value is running out every single day. Like there's he, he you're running out of options. So the second you get a chance to move him for just about anything, I'd move him. Yeah, I mean I I agree with you there, but I mean, what if Antonio Brown has some gas left in the tank? I mean, who's to say if he signs for either one of those teams, whether it's Seattle or Baltimore? I mean, could Antonio Brown come in and, if healthy, be the best wide receiver on either of those teams? I mean, I think it's at least within the realm of possibilities after, you know, we saw him look excellent in his short action with New England last year and you know there's no doubting that Antonio Brown is one of the greats at wide receiver that we've seen play so to me Mm -hmm. he is a hold until he signs at which point he's maybe a sell but honestly he's an intriguing buy for a contending team you know why not go out and get him if you have a roster spot and are pushing in a title window yeah yeah he could i mean he hasn't played since what was it week four for new england last year he hasn't played football so that doesn't really bode well for him it it, when you haven't played football like real football for that long i mean it's kind of a kind of a tough situation Uh, that's why i'm more on the sell side i i'm one of those guys that would rather get value for somebody rather than watching it just dwindle all the way down so it just depends on your mindset and it does depend on your like team situation so agreed and tough tough spot speaking of guys that aren't going to be playing football for at least a little while longer um debo samuel actually broke his foot and ended up having to have surgery that's going to sideline him for most likely the first couple or few weeks of the season, at which point he will probably be eased back as well. So, you know, Debo Samuel going down, what do you feel about Debo Samuel and the implications that that has on the rest of that offense? Well... I think this definitely helps the Brandon Ayuk drafter. I think if you took Brandon Ayuk, you are very excited um, that he gets basically to jump right into right into basically Debo's spot last year, like the same situation that Debo was in last year, and I think. You know, there 
there may be some value with some of the lower down guys that you can buy low. Like you could buy low. I'm not a huge fan, but you could buy low on Dante Pettis because there is definitely a a glaring hole without Debo there. Uh, I mean, Kendrick Bourne is the next receiver behind Brandon Ayuk in projected depth charts. It's a really weak wide receiver group without Debo Samuel. Um, I mean, like I said, like, like if you can, if you can buy Dante Pettis cheap, pick him up for free. I would do that. Like if you can trade some, some vet that's not doing anything for you or a third rounder might be worth the flyer. Could be, I mean, Debo might not play until week six. I hate to say it, but you, you forgot the best, dynasty by in their wide receiver core and that is last year's third round pick Jalen Hurd I think that is the best guy to go out and acquire right now but I have to also talk about the skyrocketing Brandon Ayuk stock who stay tuned we're going to be talking about this later but people are stealing this guy in the early to mid second round I mean Drafted in the first round by San Fran, one of the best offensive coordinators of the decade. And you're getting a guy who can step right into the wide receiver one chair, given Devo Samuel's injury, possibly for the first, you know, third of the season. You're going to see what you have in Brandon Ayuk. And I just think he is such a value right now in dynasty rookie drafts getting a guy that you know is going to step right in and see production early on. I mean, George Kittle is still the primary target in that offense, but Ayuk is going to see every opportunity possible to succeed. Yeah, it's an interesting situation, and hopefully Debo comes back normal because he's an electric player, and I think him with Brandon Ayuk on the other side are going to be a real dynamic duo and it's going to be a really fun offense to watch. So we'll see how that goes. Jalen Hurd is interesting. So let's move on to, um, we had some opt outs in Miami, Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns opted out this year due to COVID concerns. You have to respect their decisions. They were in the mix for the wide receiver three role. I think this opens up a lot of, uh, I think this, this concentrates the targets to Devonte Parker, Mike Gusecki and Preston Williams. What do you think? Austin? Well, I think go out and buy Preston Williams while you still can, because Preston Williams was a former five-star recruit coming out of high school, originally played at Tennessee ended up at Colorado State, you know, had some off-the-field issues, but was picked up as an undrafted free agent and actually early on in the season last year was the leading wide receiver for the Miami Dolphins above Devontae Parker. And what did it take for Devontae Parker and Mike Gesicki to even be relevant? Preston Williams tearing his ACL, you know, early on in the season. So I think... He just got cleared from his knee injury. Preston Williams is back and I think is the best 
dynasty value of the Miami wide receiver core. The thing that scares me with Preston Williams is this isn't the first time he's torn an ACL. It's not like... When you tear an ACL, the worry isn't tearing the ACL again. It's like the the most worrisome thing is what's happening to Todd Gurley right now, where it's the arthritis and the, the other things that come along with it later with your knee getting grinded down. I think Preston Williams had a great start to the year last year. He played in eight games, had 60 targets, 32 receptions for 428 yards and three touchdowns. I mean, the Miami offense was horrible to begin the year last year and I think it affected Devontae Parker the most um Mike Gusecki didn't really get his opportunity opportunity until later in the year Devontae Parker after the first five games had 100 targets 59 receptions for 973 yards and seven touchdowns and he still landed at the number 11 wide receiver in PPR as for Mike Gusecki, he actually ended up at the number 11 tight end spot in PPR with 89 targets, 51 receptions uh, for 570 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, they, they, Mike Gusecki quietly crept up to that close to that top 10 tight end spot. And two is only going to help this offense be more efficient and, I mean, Parker's probably going to drop somewhere around the same numbers. Preston Williams will definitely be up there. And I think Mike Gusecki consistently being on the field. He he is a chance to be a top 10 tight end this year. As crazy as that sounds, he's definitely one of those, those buy tight ends. You Depending on your league, you might have to pay too much for him. There are guys that are cheaper, but it's going to be exciting. This offense was in need of a capable quarterback, so it's going to be nice to watch Tua bring that spice that this offense needs. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I am very excited about Tua landing there and what that means for the passing game in Miami, but I think Mike Kosicki is fool's gold when it comes to tight ends. I am staying away from Mike Gesicki because even though his volume increased last year, his catch percentage and yards per target absolutely plummeted late in the season when he was getting those opportunities. Uh, Gesicki had only a 52% catch percentage last year, and only 5.5 yards per target after the second half of the season. So mm-hmm. he really... That yeah, it's kind of a volume thing for him, to be honest, in my opinion. I think it's definitely a volume thing. If he's getting, if he's on the field more, he's going to see the ball more. I think that's the big thing for him. He may be inefficient, but... I just think he is vastly overrated. People see the athletic metrics, and, you know, they... They get excited about this guy, but really, had it not been for him having five touchdowns last year, he would not have finished where he was as, I believe you said, the tight end 11. So, Tight end 11, yep. So I am staying away from Mike Kosicki and buying, honestly, both of those receivers in the passing game because I think they're going to see a lot of volume on 
a subpar team with whether it's Ryan Fitzpatrick or Tua, two volume passers that are great for fantasy production. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting. It'll definitely be interesting there with the new situation and how those targets will shape up, especially with those two wide receivers sitting out this year. I think you should keep an eye on... Um, you definitely should keep an eye on Isaiah Ford as that wide receiver three. He ended up breaking out at the ever so slightly at the end of the year last year, and that might be a little interesting, uh, little interesting ad for you if you want a little piece of that new Miami offense. Um, all right, so now we're gonna get into some Brian Edwards. So Brian Edwards had some news a few days ago that came out on Twitter. Um, through Roto World Football. And there was a report that Brian Edwards could start week one for the Las Vegas Raiders at the wide receiver X spot. My goodness. My love for him could not get any higher. (laughs) This is unbelievable news. We're going to get into a more in the uh, the draft recap portion of this. I am in love with this news. I was waiting for this news. There were reports, like I said in episode two, that they had him rated as a first-round wide receiver, and this just pretty much solidifies that, and I am ready for all the Brian Edwards. Yeah, I saw on our show sheet today that I was going to get to talk about Antonio Gibson and Brian Edwards, and I said, Cam, say no more. Get me on this mic because I want to talk more Brian Edwards, and Brian Edwards is the wide receiver to own in Oakland. He is the best wide receiver on the Oakland Hiatus, and Brian Edwards will be starting at the X come the start of this season as a rookie. You know, Brian Edwards, we talked about it last episode, the youngest breakout age, 100th percentile as a 17-year-old in college. 17-year-old. A 17-year-old. Give me all the Brian Edwards. There is such a lack of wide receiving talent in Oakland, and I think that he's going to seize that opportunity and especially given the price that you can get Brian Edwards at right now, buy, buy, buy while you still can get him because it's not going to last can. long. No, especially with that news. That is the stuff we're talking about. He is just going to skyrocket. All right, so now we're going to get into our most recent rookie draft in one of our home leagues. Um. I can confidently say we both came out of the draft ecstatic with how it played out for the for the two of us. I mean, I had a good time. Austin, did you have a good time? Well, you know, I I think when it comes to a rookie draft, when you get to start off the draft with the first two picks, uh, you, you're probably you're probably gonna have a good time, especially. In a year like this year where, as the reigning champion of our home dynasty league, I was able to draft Jonathan Taylor 
in Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I mean, I could not have been more ecstatic. These were trades I had made prior to the draft. One of them was a result of selling early on Le'Veon Bell, which actually secured me the 101. That was a trade that happened over a year ago. And then the 102 I acquired with a wide receiver needy team. Shout out to Ryan, uh, one of my boys. And, you know, I thought it was a good deal for both sides. He was able to acquire, as we'll touch on later, my favorite wide receiver in the draft, Jerry Judy, as well as a couple other great wide receiver prospects later in the draft. So, but it allowed me to secure Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at 102, and I could not be happier. Yeah, I can't blame you. Um, I, myself, um, at the 105 spot, got to draft Cam Akers. I was hoping for a little DeAndre Swift fall. Didn't happen, so being at 105, I will gladly take Cam Akers. That's where I have him ranked. At 111, I was able to secure Denzel Mims, my wide receiver two in my rookie rankings. And at 112, I'm going to go. I had a, I had multiple steals in this draft, and this was definitely this was my the favorite steal one. of the draft. Oh, this was right. You just gave me goosebumps. I love hearing that from you. So at 112, I had to do it as a formality. I had to put Justin Jefferson after Denzel Mims just because that's how I have my ratings. But Justin Jefferson fell to my arms at 112, and I will take that 10 out of 10 times. He is my wide receiver for... Oh, I love it. Uh, I made a in-draft trade for pick 209. I acquired Tua Tonga-Vailoa and at pick 305 I acquired actually a it was a little agreement during the draft but we could only put it through after the draft I got Brian Edwards 305 let's stop I mean, it I mean I mean can you have a better draft than that I'm Yours is the only one that can compete, and it's because of we literally had we got our guys where we like it was exactly how we needed it to play out, and it literally played right into our hands. I could not have been happier. Um, I also was able to add as an undrafted free agent Lynn Bowden, which was a nice little get for me. Um, so I got two thirds of that new Raider rejuvenated offense um when you're drafting you need to be able to read the room and i think i was able to read the room pretty well you didn't really move during the draft did you i think those were all your picks during yeah, the draft. I, I stayed put with all all of my picks yeah. actually uh, a lot of my moves came prior to the draft which is a, a lesson for everybody actually that the most expensive the picks are ever going to get is on draft day. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking to acquire, acquire before the draft, the earlier the better because there is no way I could have gotten the picks that I got had it been on draft day. Yep. 
So, all right. So let's get into the draft itself. We're going to go pick by pick here um, through round one. And so at 101, we have Austin taking Jonathan Taylor because he is the true 101. At pick 102, you go Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, which is also the the next correct option, especially how your board plays out. I mean... Wow, did you just admit that finally? Uh, with the situation that's going on, you gotta take. Wow, you gotta you gotta take him. You gotta take him there. Uh, my running back situation was a little bit different, but I probably would have caved and probably would have taken him there just with what's going they on. Always come back. Just with what's going on. If Damian Williams doesn't hold out, I stay true. Um, at one hundred and three, J.K. Dobbins goes. Not a shock. I mean, he's J.K. Dobbins. He's he's a very very shout good. out to Jared. Shout out to Jared. Um, at one hundred and four, Colton took DeAndre Swift, who I was hoping would fall to me. Didn't happen. I have him rated as my second running back um, in my rookie rankings. If he fell to me at five, I would have been extremely happy, but he didn't, and I ended up with Cam Akers. I put myself in a little in a good spot. I was there to be the stopper if they were to fall, and they didn't, so I took the guy that should have been there, which is fine. That's that's how you play it out. That's that's what you you just accept that being in that spot. Yeah, so the 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 running backs went chalk one through five, and then we start getting into you know more of the the variable part of the draft. We had C.D. Lamb go at six, which is is your favorable wide receiver, mm-hmm. but then we had Ryan with the the pick that I traded with him grabbed my guy Jerry Judy. Yep, good pick, Rye. Very good pick. Then we had, in my opinion, one of the biggest reaches of the draft, but a guy that you you seem to like, uh, with Jacob taking Keyshawn Yawn <laughs> at 108. This is a little high and, for me. A little high for me for Keyshawn Vaughn. Yep, but just a note that that is a very running back needy team. Oh, so he, yeah, I've, he's desperate. Yeah, no, I understand yep, where it, he's coming from. And then we have a podcast listener, Cole, a.k.a. Wayne Dwops, went and listened to my advice taking Jalen Reger at yep. 109. Yep. Shout out to Cole. You definitely um, sold him. He even told you during the uh, during the draft after he made the pick that you basically essentially convinced him to take Jalen Reger at that spot. So at least he knows which pat, one of us to listen to. Pat yourself on the back there. It's fine. <laughs> he made the wrong decision. It's fine. I got my guy at 112. It's I mean, I'm not upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and then Max went with Henry Ruggs at pick 10. And then we had Cam going with his guy Denzel Mims at 111 followed by the steal of uh the draft oh, baby. with Justin Jefferson uh, at 112 but 
I think an interesting implication to look back at was how you actually ended up with 112, which actually happened with a trade between the two of us Mm -hmm. earlier in the offseason. Cam had actually um, traded Devontae Adams to me in exchange for Allen Robinson and the 112, which... In hindsight, you know, had I known Justin Jefferson would be there at 112, maybe I would have thought thought a little harder about that one. But, you know, given my team, you know, the reigning champions trying to defend the title in a championship window, I still like my side of that deal. But Cam mm-hmm. definitely got his money's worth with that one. Yeah, Alan I mean, Robinson and Justin Jefferson. You're going you're going for it. So a team in your situation, you are sending it. Like there's there's little to no reason why you should keep that 112 and A Rob. Like you you are in full send mode. I mean, it made it made perfect sense for both of us. I need more pieces. So a team that is kind of doing an on the fly rebuild. I'm a very running back needy team. I I need pieces, and I definitely lucked out with Justin Jefferson being there at 112. And I somewhat lucked out with him being there at 112 because I know you did. we talked post-draft oh, yeah. about you know the, the internal struggle in your mind about who you were going to take at 112, assuming that Justin Jefferson wasn't going to be there. But, you know, Cam, give me a run-through of your thought process before you know before we hit like pick nine or ten okay so we came up to pick 109 and i have mims at wide receiver two i have jefferson at wide receiver four rager at five and i have henry ruggs he's one of my second uh round wide receivers like one of my higher up ones so I see Rager get picked at 109. I thought Jefferson might go there, and then Cole went ahead and alluded to him listening to you. So we get to 110, and in this league, there is a lot of quarterback hoarding. I mean, the the rosters are huge, so you can get away with stashing quarterbacks even though it is a one-quarterback league. So 110 came up, and I thought for sure Justin Jefferson was going to go. So I only, at the time, had Russell Wilson, and no other true like starting quarterback as my backup. So I was fully convinced that I was going to take Joe Burrow with 112, which, yes, he would have jumped up my rankings one, but I... I did have Michael Pittman and him as basically basically a wash. Either one of them could have been 112, just depended on your situation and my situation, the way it was, and how, like, I didn't want to go out and acquire one of those quarterbacks later. I would rather just draft a really good one in the draft in Joe Burrow. I was dead set on taking Burrow at 112. I did not at all think Justin Jefferson was going to be there. Henry Ruggs goes at 110. And that just made up made my decision for me. I let the draft come to me, didn't reach, didn't 
didn't try to trade up. I just let those picks come to me. I took Mims at 111, like we said, and I ultimately got Justin Jefferson at 112. And and then the draft fell to me because I got my guy Joe Burrow mm-hmm. at 201. Yep. You know, I, that's exactly who I wanted before the draft. I was not going to move. I was going to say if Burrow's there at 201, I am sprinting to the podium mm-hmm. to make the pick. But, man, I was terrified hearing that Cam may have gotten my guy had the draft board fallen differently, in which case I would have taken one of these talented wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, you would have ended up you would have ended up with Justin Jefferson. I mean, either way, you were coming out golden. You were either getting your guy or getting your guy. Like, you would have not been exactly. in that spot, you know? So totally. So I was, I was happy with that. And then, you know, I think we got to touch on a few guys that were definitely some steals and reaches in the rest of the draft. My first, um, had to be Brandon Ayuk at one Oh four or geez, two Oh four, two Oh four going to my brother, Alec shout out another podcast listener. Mm-hmm. But Brandon Ayuk at 204 is an absolute steal. You know, wide receiver one on a contending team with a brilliant offensive coordinator and a good quarterback situation. So Brandon Ayuk at 204, I think, is great value to get him, um, especially considering the guys that were taken over him, guys that I don't necessarily believe as much in, like Henry Ruggs, T. Higgins, you know, guys of that nature. So give me Ayuk all day if you can get him at 204. Yeah, no, that was a a great landing spot. And uh, Alec isn't desperate to throw him into his lineup. So he's going to just let him him become who he is on his bench and he'll either end up starting him or he'll end up getting a ton of value for him later. Um. I think, I mean, I don't want to do this to Alec, but I'm going to go ahead and do this to Alec. So one pick later, he may have reached a little bit. He ended up taking at 205, um, Zach Moss, who probably shouldn't go up that high. I know he's in a little bit of a weird wide, uh, weird running back spot. And he's pretty much just banking on Devin Singletary, just thinking it up. And I mean, Zach Moss was that prolific running back at Utah. So it may not be a complete reach. It may just be a little bit of a reach just because of his situation. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit of a, little bit of a tough spot yeah i mean i hopefully that clears up his running back room a little bit for for sure i i think that like i said with zach moss i think zach moss outscores devin singletary this year so i don't necessarily mind the pick at 205 would he have been my selection Mm -hmm. not necessarily but i think given given the situation i do not mind that zach moss pick at 205 you know i look at Another uh, reach I felt like late in the second round at 211, Eno Benjamin 
as much as I love an ASU alum, uh, Eno Benjamin, a seventh round pick going to the Arizona Cardinals where he's already behind guys like Kenyon Drake and my boy Chase Edmonds. Um, I just think there's no way you can take Eno Benjamin in the second round over some of these other guys that we'll touch on like, you know, Antonio Gibson, Darrington Evans, Joshua Kelly, guys like that, that I feel like are much better running backs in much better situations. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those guys ultimately ended up going later in the third round. So, I mean, he could have waited, taken one of those guys later. I mean, traded back, but I mean, maybe he sees something in Eno Benjamin that we both haven't seen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think a definite steal in the third round is also probably uh, KJ Hamler by Jared. I think he's definitely a sneaky pick in that third round. He was one of uh, my uh, little gems in our last episode. And, yeah, I mean, K.J. Hamler is a speedster. Being picked at 303 is really not giving up much for him. Um, I just think he maybe grabbed the wrong wide receiver. Oh, my. Because I'm going to pat myself on the back here. So at at 305, I ended up with Brian Edwards. Um, I was able to wiggle in. Uh, a a deal for him, um, where I didn't have I I I didn't have any second rounders to offer, but I didn't want to give up any players, so I kind of got creative and I gave my boy Riley a call, and he i kind of i offered him a second 2023 which wasn't available at the time so i offered him a second 2023 and a third 2022 for his 305 it looked really good i mean he got good value for that that pick slot for sure um trading a third rounder and getting a second and a third rounder later is definitely a trade you should be making if you don't have like your guy right there in that spot. So I don't fault him at all for that. Brian Edwards is just one of my guys. Um, so essentially this trade wasn't able to go through until after the draft because we needed those 2023 picks to clear, but getting Brian Edwards, a high second round value, in my opinion, in my rankings, at 305 was just a complete bargain just that's just straight up bargain shopping so i had no problem giving up a second rounder and a third rounder for him for sure and i hate to steal the diamond in the rough trophy from you but antonio gibson at 307 huge is highway robbery that is especially given the fact that i just sat back again, let the draft come to me, did not mm-hmm. have to give up any future draft capital, and sitting at 307, I get my guy, Antonio Gibson, who 
we're bringing this full circle, beginning of the podcast to end, getting guys like that, the Diamond in the Rough Award in the third round, Antonio yeah. Gibson is going to pay off yeah. for for a team like mine. And those are the picks that you'd love to see. You know, I have to commend you for getting Brian Edwards because that, uh, you know, was one of two guys I was hoping I would have the opportunity to draft. So Brian Edwards, steal. Antonio Gibson, steal. Great picks. Yeah. It's almost like we host a dynasty podcast. You mean doing your research helps you? What? Are you kidding? Are you sure? Hmm. Nah. What a concept. What a concept. So I I definitely think we came in overly prepared, but we we were ready to go. We we kind of read the draft room, and knowing your draft room is definitely a huge, huge thing to be able to do. Getting those guys late in the third or in the middle of the third, that's just like we said in in our uh, previous podcast episodes. That's what separates the guys that can, in my situation, turn their team around faster than others is just by doing your research and not being a part time dynasty player. You gotta if you're playing dynasty, you gotta be a full time dynasty player, and that's how you're gonna win. Definitely. So that kind of sums up our thought process when it comes to rookie drafts in, you know, firsthand experience in one of our home leagues. But I want to get into a huge milestone for our podcast, our inaugural listener question. This one comes from our listener at tremy516 on Twitter he says, if there is no season, how do you plan to conduct ordering of your rookie drafts next year? This is a huge question because this is a very, very real possibility. I feel like baseball's in the same situation as the NFL right now, and Every day, I swear, it looks like baseball is going to shut down. And if the NFL doesn't take care of their players and doesn't get something formed, like either bubble-wise or just precaution-wise, this is a very real possibility, and this would be tragic, to be honest. This would upset a lot of people, but... There is just so much going on in this world right now. There's no real perfect way of doing this, but the best thing I could come up with personally is I think you take the bottom six teams from the previously played season and put them in some sort of lottery um, for the top six picks. Um, I mean, you can do even, even odds or odds depending on their how they how they lined up in those season rankings but i think you put team 7 through 10 in their own lottery for picks 7 through 10 and i think you leave picks 11 and 12 as they are just because they it was the runner up and it was the champion and 
as for the like I think you just do that for the first round and I think for the second round I think the best way to handle this is by taking those picks 1 through 6 from the first round and doing them in reverse order and doing the same thing for picks 7 through 10 doing those in reverse order and swapping the 11 and 12 spots in the second round just because you don't know like what what's going to happen year to year i mean obviously the 11 and 12 guys have pretty good teams they're probably competing every year they definitely don't need to be involved anywhere higher than 11 or 12 i think to keep the integrity of the league i think it's probably a good idea that they stay in that area and i mean it's the only fair way i think to help those 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 lower one through six teams and those seven through 10 teams are those playoff push teams. So yeah, I mean with round three, I'd probably do the same as round one, but there's no real perfect answer for this. I mean, what do you, what do you think Austin? What do you, what do you think about this situation? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's not an ideal situation to be in and it's one that we hope it never has to come to. We want an NFL season more than anything, but the reality is we don't know what's going to happen. So it's best to be prepared when it comes to your dynasty leagues because you need to have a contingency plan in place. Just like workplaces had contingency plans for COVID-19. So, you know, I think Cam presents a great scenario for a solution. If it were me, Personally, I would approach it with a similar system that the NBA uses as far as a draft lottery for all 12 teams, just with increased probability for the worst the team was the previous season. So in essence, I believe the NBA does it where the the worst team the previous season has a 25% chance of getting the number one pick and then those numbers decrease the further down you get so I think when it comes down to it the most fair way is to approach it with one of those lottery systems being that you don't really know how the year would have played out and a lot of times those teams that end up with the number one pick can get guys like you know Jonathan Taylor Clyde Edwards Hilaire that can be franchise changing we've seen In our past leagues, guys go from worst to first in a year. So just because they are the worst team the season before doesn't mean they necessarily would have been the worst team again. So I think a draft lottery makes a lot of sense. But, you know, hopefully it never comes to that. But we know what will come is another podcast dropping for you guys later this week to keep you up to date with the latest news from around the NFL as we are in the midst of training camp and quickly approaching the season only about four and a half weeks out so be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, leave a rating and review and follow us both on Twitter that's at Dynasty Ostie and at Dynasty Cam as well as our podcast account at Coast to Coast FFB. Thank you all for listening to Dynasty Coast to Coast. Love you all. Stay safe out there. 
and let's keep the positive vibes going. Peace.